Welcome back to the Constructive Liberty Podcast, intentionally designing a lifestyle of freedom. I've got an interview show for you today. Someone who has created his own lifestyle of freedom through much trial and much error and much success. I'm having on Miles Wakeham, the financial contrarian and host of the Unconstrained Podcast. Miles is atypical yet successful. He is a multi-millionaire, having had that status and lost it three different times in his life. Today, his financial success has led him to tell his story through his appearances on dozens of media outlets and through hosting his own podcast, The Unconstrained Podcast. Miles rejects the social norms of education, a 9-to-5 job, and retirement outright and shows through his methods that one can live a financially sustainable life regardless of background, geography, or education. His approach to being a contrarian shows that going against the herd can pay off. And with that, hey, Miles, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's awesome to, I was excited to see your application come through to be on the show. I love talking to and learning from people who have had some measure of success in life. And when your application came through, I was thrilled. So. Tell us a little bit, so my audience knows, who is Miles Wakem? Uh, I'm originally from Australia, as my accent uh, tends to give it away, but I migrated to the United States when I was 25. Um, I came with nothing, and I've made millions of dollars multiple times and lost millions of dollars <laughs> a few times too. So uh, I've been on that roller coaster of Americana ever since. and. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the underlying story about me, but we can go into more detail if you want. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, tell us a little bit about your journey from like going through the making and losing millions, and and kind of how you develop the mindset to be successful with money, rather than it, it being that roller coaster you talked about. But um, how how to actually hang on to it and make the money work for you. Talk a little to that aspect. Well, I was raised in a city in Australia called Adelaide, which has got about a million people in it. It's not a big place. Imagine, say, the size of like Portland in Oregon, that sort of thing. Um, when I was there, I lived there until I was 25 before I came to the United States. Uh, this was at a time when interest rates were 18% uh, for a mortgage. No one had anything everyone no one had any debt because you couldn't afford it so everybody looked after each other it was a community you know if you bought a car you fixed it or you learned how to fix it right Right. if you bought a house you fixed it you didn't have any money to pay somebody else to do it so everybody learned from each other and it was kind of a world of a sharing economy i guess you know like we would always keep Everything was done with cash under the table. (laughs) That was how the world is. And when you're dealing with that sort of level of interest and the taxes were ridiculous, if you made, I think back in those days, if you made like $35,000 or something like that, they took 47% of it in tax. Wow. Yeah. So nobody wanted to do anything by the straight and narrow. That was just the standard kind of mantra. And I was raised in that. And when I was in my teenage years, uh, I was lucky enough to have a father who had some wisdom and, and I went to him and said, 
you know, Dad, I've got, I'm into this whole computer thing. I, I'm going to buy myself a little computer. This is 1978 or something. And uh, I'm going to, I've saved up for it with my paper money from my paper route. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I bought this thing and I said, and I learned how to program it. And I found myself in this situation where I knew something that everybody wanted. I was 15 years old and I said to him, there's no sense in me finished school. I need to go out there and start making money and earn, earn money as, in a business. And he, I don't know how, but he said, okay. <laughs> Let me do it. So here's this kid starting a business, writing software. And the crazy thing is after a couple of years, I was writing software for mega corporations, big government departments, and even the universities that I wasn't qualified to go to as a student, they were paying me to write their cryogenic freezer storage lab systems. Wow. I mean, you know, and this was, so I kind of looked at everything from the point of view of like supply demand, right? Old school Austrian economics, based, right, right. you know, free market. And I said, you know, I didn't. Well, all of my friends, well, they went to college, right? They went to university and they came out the other end. Um, and they're great friends, so don't get me wrong. I mean, I love my friends and everything. But if I look at the results that we all got over time, I mean, it's insanely different, insanely different. And so, you know, anyway, fast forward a few years, 25 years old, I was on vacation in Hawaii I met a girl, I kind of fell in love as you would. And next thing you know, I find myself in California. Um, And I'm not somebody who'd done a lot of travel. I mean, I didn't, I had a passport for a few years. That was it. But I just found myself in California and I got married. One thing led to another. I got married. And next thing you know, I'm stuck in the US immigration cycle and I can't get out. I can't go back to Australia and settle my affairs there. I had to quit my job over the phone. I had to get my my mates to go and empty my place out and put it in storage. And it was just horrible. But And then at the same time, I'm in this void where I cannot work in the United States. So for mm. six months, they were processing my, um, you know, you get married and they, back in those days, they process like a work uh, visa thing. And eventually you get a little card that says you can have a job. So in that Meantime, I was just bumbling around LA, Hollywood. I was a musician, so I could play in bands. So that kept me busy, but there was no real work. And then uh, eventually I got my uh, work permit and I had gone for about 20 different job interviews. And every single time I said, yeah, I I wrote the software for this submarine manufacturer. And, uh, you know, I wrote for this, for this, you know, university. And I did the attorney general's department's criminal, you know, stuff. And it, and they're looking at going, yeah, 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 right. Sure you did, you know. <laughs> I'm like, well, I did, but I guess you're not going to call the other side of the planet to verify. No, next. And that was, you know, that was the rotating door of job interviews. I did about 20 of them. Eventually, because um, remember, I didn't even have a degree or even finished high school. So going into like, you know, Lockheed Martin and asking for a job in, you know, what are they going to do? They're going to kick you out, right? These days you wouldn't even get through monster.com. I mean, it's it's how it is. So um, anyway, I ended up bumbling into this startup that was in Southern California that were in this uh, 
mobile office, you know, like a trailer kind of office. And I remember they wanted somebody to do software or computer or whatever. I can't remember the way it came about, but I ended up sitting on the side, one side of the desk with uh, a lady on the other side. And I'm going, uh, they're going to say no, right? Because they always do. I was so sick of it. And they did some medical thing and I didn't really understand it. And I thought, well, anyway, little did I know on their side of the table, they're looking at me going, he's not going to take a job with us. We're in this crappy old trailer. (laughs) You know, who would treat us seriously? And when we broke through that and I said, you know what, I don't care that you're in a trailer and you don't care about my certifications, let's do business. (laughs) And the second I was able to do that, I got a job and uh, it was reasonably well-paying. It wasn't great. They were building their buildings. So that's why it's a mobile thing. And um, I didn't realize it, but I joined, I was like one of the really, really, really early employees of a corporation called Amgen, which became the world's largest biotech corporation. And the weird thing about it was when you join, they give you all these stock options kind of like as an incentive to get people. So I was sitting on like, I don't know, 20,000 stock options or some ridiculous amount. And they were worthless back in those days. And then I think it was about six weeks after I started working there, they got approval for their first drug from the FDA and the company just to the moon. It took off. (laughs) off. And so all of a sudden, here's this 25-year-old kid who's gone from zero to hero. I mean, on paper, I wasn't worth a huge amount. But when I left there five years later, I left there as a millionaire. So I'm now like in my 30s. And I went back to Australia as my mother needed some care and attention. And my wife and I decided to move back to Australia. So I moved back. I never had to work another day in my life. I thought, oh, you know, I've made it, dude. I don't need to, I don't need to do anything. I'm going to live the lifestyle of the rich and famous here. Mm -hmm. Um, No, (laughs) (laughs) because all of a sudden my lack of direction uh, became part of my the faith and in, in, in my wife and I's marriage and that broke down eventually there was a divorce and with that I lost half the money and then from that then I was in this massive car accident that um, unfortunately a friend of mine was killed in and I ended up in a coma for about I don't know about 12 days something like that and uh, next thing you know I'm in hospital for like six weeks and I'm completely disabled and crippled and the government, who was supposed to be a public health care provider there, um, would not pay beyond the initial uh, initial surgeries, initial triage. For ongoing care, they wouldn't touch me because the guy, my friend who was driving the car, I was in the back of the car, but my friend who was driving the car uh, was being charged for negligent homicide. And he, it wasn't, it was bogus. Uh, he it did nothing. But the reality was that, um, once the government saw that he, there was a criminal case on this, it was like all bets are off. They won't pay for insurance. They won't pay medical, nothing. Wow. So I ended up having to fund all that and pay for an attorney to sue the government, which took eight years. Um, so I was wiped out. I mean, basically everything I'd made had gone. And, you know, eventually I got remarried. Um, my wife was from Australia and I just, and we had a daughter. 
and we decided to move back to the States in 1999. And I literally came again with a bag of clothes and no money to do it all over again. And three or four years later, I think we were millionaires again. <laughs> so, it, you know, I've been through this process and I realized the first time I got it, I didn't really understand or respect it um, because I didn't really feel like I worked for it. It was like I won the lottery. The second time I got it, I worked for it. That meant something, and that's where it, it tended to stay. Mm-hmm. You get something when you didn't really earn it. You know, I mean, years and years later, I got into Bitcoin back in the early days and made a boatload of money on that. But again, I look back at it and go, well, the thing about that is I had the wisdom to know not to to respect it like I didn't have before. Mm-hmm. I think that let me keep it so it wasn't so bad. But I think that comes with age and it comes with life and you've got to be, you've got to go around the block. You know? Yeah, we, we all make some foolish decisions in our younger years. Some of us grow out of it and some of us don't. Um, but it sounds like through all your experiences, you know, especially at a young age, at 15, starting your own software company, it takes an inquisitive mind to, to dive into a lot of those things. How do you develop that inquisitiveness and then trusting and verifying through those situations? Like, How does that tie into creating the life you want? I think it's just a sort of arrogant confidence in a way. I mean, I, you look at people like Bill Gates or people of that who are like, well, not like me, I mean, very well, but I mean, if you look at guys like that at that age, they were, you know, in the computer labs until three in the morning until some security guard kicked them out. And mm-hmm. you know, that was kind of what you did. And, and I was no different. Um, I would do the exact same sorts of things to learn. It's just I didn't have a market that was, you know, as vibrant as the United States, obviously. Um, but I do realize that if I was in a place where there was a market and I was doing something that I was really passionate about, that I felt was my calling and I felt that was what I was going to do, then the limits you put on yourself for how far you want to take something, it's a personal decision. And any distraction that takes you off that path, you have to question whether or not you really are on the right path. I, I got lucky. I fell into something I was passionate about and I wrote it for everything I could. I mean, you know, look, it's like a it's like an athlete, right? If you if you're a I don't know, a, a Formula One racer, you know the difference between being a winner and being 22nd on the grid, right? And mm. it's just how far up here mentally you want to push yourself and you want to put yourself in a situation where you can gain advantage. I mean, it's decision. If you want to, if you want to race, try and be P1, right? If right, you want to right. race and be P22, get out of the car, let somebody else drive. I mean, that's, I, I just have that sort of attitude. It's like God gave me the gift of life here. I'm not going to screw it up. I mean, I've made stupid mistakes in my past, but so we all have, right? Yeah, you learn, you learn from it and grow. Yeah, yeah. 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 So get back in the car and go for it. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just a choice. Yeah. I, I, I have a hard time. I mean, I'm a, I'm a liberty guy, right? I'm a freedom guy. And the thing about that, is, is it comes? It's that old what 
Stan Lee thing with great power comes great responsibility. Okay. <laughs> I want the freedom. I want the power, right? I want to be able to control my own destiny. But with that, I have a responsibility that if I screw up, it's on me. I don't go running to some counterparty, some government to bail me out. I don't expect my neighbor to bail me out by them having to pay taxes they shouldn't have to. That's on me. I screwed up, right? If people took more personal responsibility, we wouldn't have all of the power being deferred to counterparties. Mm-hmm. If that was the case, then we would live a life that was more decentralized, more community focused, more lateral, and we wouldn't need government. And that's a learn that that's taking me, my God, decades and decades <laughs> to get that message, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, go back to uh you talked about you know being player one. You you play to win the game and it that takes a knowing who you are, knowing what that you have what it takes. How do you go about finding out who you are and 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 developing that to 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 be that player one to to come in first? I think that there was a, I go to his gym where I do some resistance training every week, and I noticed they had a sign up this week, and I thought it was quite poignant. They said that. If you're coming here and not pushing yourself beyond where you think you can go, then you won't go anywhere, right? And that's kind of where it is for me. I I think there were a few little um, connection points that made a lot of sense for me. I understood leverage. If you achieve something, then accept that, step upon it, and then achieve something more, right? Keep going up from mm-hmm. where you are. If you think that you're on the bottom, uh, and, and to give some clarity, there's a, there's a psychological uh, course, mantra, thing called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. I'm not mm. sure you know of it. But I've heard of it. <laughs> it's like a pyramid diagram, and at the bottom there's this layer. It's called the ph- physiological layer, and the idea is it's the, the things we need to survive, like food, shelter, clothing. Once you achieve that, then you go up the next level up the pyramid and you have sort of like communications, healthcare, um, that's industrial in, utility and power, that sort of thing. When you achieve that, you go up there and then you start learning and, 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 and advancement and things like that. And eventually you get to the very top of the pyramid. It's called self-actualization. And the idea is that at that point, if you achieve that, that nirvana state, then you've got to look back down and you've got to start hauling ropes down and pull people up, right? That's that's kind of a mission in life which I embraced from my 20s, that I would start off at bare survival and I would step up above that to the next and step up above that to the next and keep stepping up until I hit the top. So it's kind of like, you know, if you're a, a mountaineer and you want to go and hike Everest, what are you going to do? Get to the first base camp and give up? <laughs> is, that, is that the reason why you chose to spend 50 grand with the Nepalese government to do it? No. Mm, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. The, right. You went there to get to the top. So get to the damn top. And yeah. when you get to each base camp, stop, rest, realize your achievement, and go, okay, I'm going to the next one. Right. And eventually you get to the top. And then at that point, you don't live life with regret. Because this is what people can tend to forget is that if they engage to do something, 
and they get to a certain point where they try and they fail and they go, oh, no good. That's not right. I'll go back and play Xbox. Mm-hmm. How are you at the age of 60 going to look at yourself in the mirror and go, yeah, I did everything in life I could do with this one God-given, you know, <laughs> like, are you freaking yeah. insane? Yeah. That, right? It's crazy. Get off your, <laughs> get off your ass and do something. I mean, that. I don't know. I don't want to come down hard because a lot of people can't because they're either disabled or, that you know, look, I carried a shoulder injury from that car accident for 25 mm. years. I couldn't get it fixed in Australia. I left Australia. I couldn't get it fixed in here because I was a pre-existing condition. You know what I did? I got it fixed. I went to Guadalajara, Mexico, and I got the damn thing fixed. And in the process, I discovered a country that was actually respected freedom and respected individual free market. I could pay a doctor or a team of surgeons about a twelfth of what it was going to cost here in the States to get it done. And I fell in love with the place. And now I bought a freaking compound down there <laughs> and I'm building uh, properties in San Miguel because of this experience. Leverage. Mm-hmm. Take a problem, turn it into a solution, discover an opportunity, go for it, right? And so I've got a plan B. Every time I get up in the morning and I turn on Bloomberg or CNN or whatever, I hear these guys, oh, the inflation rate's going to kill us all and, oh, the government's not going to pay their debts and we're all doomed. (laughs) I I don't give a crap. I can go down south. I've got a place down there I can hunker down. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's what freedom is. Anyway, I'm- yeah, <laughs> no, that, that's that's super interesting. And and we always hear, you know, that Mexico, you hear the propaganda about it, like Americans shouldn't go there. It's you'll you'll die. You'll get killed or something. <laughs> I want to hear the, the, the most dangerous place in the world to go to right now. It's just Australia. <laughs> yeah. Most, seriously, you go down there, you'll be locked in an internment camp with a bunch of other lepers and you'll end up getting let out in 14 days only to be stopped five times in the next hour by the police with show me your papers and oh by the mm. way don't watch we're monitoring everything you do buddy that's right. that's danger right there yeah it should not go mexico I'd, it's good to go <laughs> that's no awesome no it's awesome uh how you mentioned surfing in your uh in your application how does surfing tie into that what what did you what life lessons did you learn from learning how to surf? Ah, right. Well, everything we've been talking about right now is kind of what I would call my 2D version of Miles's mantra on life and experiences. Surfing's the third dimension. So I explained about that. So, you know, I grew up in a coastal city. So when I was a teenager, all my mates got an old VW microbus we had, threw our surfboards on the roof and drove out for an hour to find the best surf. We didn't know how to surf. <laughs> Idiots. But we loved it because, you know, it's free. I mean, it cost a bit of a gas, but that was about it. Some surf wax. So you go out in the in the beach and you hit these waves and you go, oh, this is great. I'm going to be a surfer, right? Um, uh, no. <laughs> you, in the first few times you learn how to surf, you, st- you get beaten up. I mean, so badly. The, you start realizing you're this peon and the universe and its nature and its waves are going to destroy you at any opportunity. It right. can. 
right? Now, I grew up in a country where everything on the ground will kill you. Snake, <laughs> scorpion, spider, whatever. Jellyfish in the ocean, sharks, right? But still, we realise we take that on board as being just normal every day. That's just how it is. Suck it up, buttercup, right? So you, you go out into the ocean and you want to learn how to ride these waves and it's beating you up and it's beating you up and you're just frustrated and you're tired and you're, you, you just want to punch that wave, <laughs> right? It's just not doing what it should do. After a few times of trying it and your mates are starting to get some rides, you're going, what am I doing wrong? And that's when I think probably in life I started to understand how the universe works. Now, I'm not going to come across all spiritual Dalai Lama. That's not my thing here. But I am saying that when you grow up in a country where you're relying on Mother Nature all about you to not kill you, then you also start realizing that just as there's a downside, there's also an upside. If you can understand how to live in synergy with it, you get the opportunity of taking advantage of energy sources that are far bigger than you are. Hence, the surfer. Those waves can be massive and the amount of power they've got are incredible. Mm-hmm. But if you know how to catch them, you get to synergistically participate in the energy and you get the ride of your life. And that's a spiritual experience. And only surfers know what that feels like. But my point is, once it's touched you, it never lets go. And so what I did, being a, a kind of analytical Techie, techie kind of brain, brain. I looked at the waves and I said, well, there's patterns here, right? They come in cycles. There's usually sets of three. And normally you can spot the best one out on the horizon, but it takes a lot of energy because you've got what has to happen is in order for a wave to pick you up, you have to be moving forward ahead of the wave. And if it if it sees you moving and it's moving, it somehow just sort of Sucks you in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that and that was the key. It was knowing when to start paddling before the thing came upon you. And also to know that since you're going to exert a lot of energy to start paddling, you better pick the right one. Because if you don't, it'll dump you and that's going to hurt. So you and you'll lose all your energy. So you want to pick it. I sort of looked at this and I I, I as a kid, I, I realized if I step away from this. And I see it almost like, you know, from I'm looking down upon myself. There's some interesting patterns. The first one is if I'm ahead of something before it grows, it may pick me up and I'll benefit from its energy and I'll get the ride. If I try and catch it when it's already upon me, I'm going to get dumped and it's going to hurt. And if I try and paddle after it's past me, well, that's stupid. So I kind of looked at it and thought, you know, Maybe the universe is telling me something here. Maybe this is the answer to stock stock investing, real estate speculation. Maybe it's the answer to cryptocurrency. Maybe it's the answer to technological invention, like being ahead of the curve. And I think as a teenager, I took that knowledge forward and said, look, you've got to pick the right way. But if you go, if you don't leave the beach and go and get wet, you're sure as hell not going to catch anything. Mm-hmm. And if you don't go out there with the knowledge that there are predictable, repeatable cycles, and all you've got to do is the old, you know, buy low, sell high mantra. If you don't see it for what it's worth, 
and you don't participate, then it will go past you and you'll never, you'll be working until the day you die. And, and that's how I actually made my money. I had to look back to my teenage formative years and realize that that was how, where the money was. So uh, my, my second, my, my real uh, wealth came from buying real estate using that mantra of buying bef- when, when everyone says, don't buy that thing, you know, it's all crap. That's when I buy. And when everyone says, quick buy because Bitcoin's <laughs> at 53,000 or whatever, that's when I sell. Mm-hmm. Right? So if I do the polar opposite of the herd, I do thousand times better than Yeah, me. what's the saying? Panic when everyone else is confident and be confident when, when everybody else panics. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so- is is the recognizing that there is that ebb and flow in the market, in nature, in everything that you look at, and understanding how to harness that to benefit not only you but your family and those around you? Is that something that you have to learn by learn through your own lessons, or or is it is it a thing that you can observe from the outside and? And run with that. I mean, what what would you say to somebody who's trying to learn those things without without getting bitten or without having to physically go through the gain and the loss like you talked about? Well, the first thing you have to realize is that good things take time. So that just and I'm not saying that as a as a kind of a depressing statement like, oh, it's gonna take me 10 <laughs> years. I'm gonna make it, you know. Well, maybe, but maybe. If you pick the right wave, you can get on it faster than that. It's just a question of your willingness to observe. This is, this is important. All around us, um, particularly in the 21st century, we have this wonderful thing out there called the internet. And I was one of those people who helped build it. Um, and it's not what we intended. Right. The original intent, if you go back to say the, the 80s, the 90s, things like bulletin board services, dial up, and then eventually the internet and so on, they were designed to give people, individuals, the right to be self expressive without censorship, with the freedom that comes with that. It was a hippie thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it got commercialized and then it got taken over by uh, Facebook and everybody like that to the point where it now was a single point of failure in the world. If you could control what people were reading on the internet, you could control the hearts and minds in the same way that the Politburo in Russia controlled the media airwaves or, you know, the, in Vietnam in the war, they had the, the broadcasts over enemy lines of propaganda. To try, right. Right. Well, now we have the hearts and minds, which is centrally focused around this TCPIP protocol, the internet. And so it's a very easy attack surface. So what's ended up happening is that there are, there are powers that be out there that want to frag, fracture or fragment the ability for an adversary to unify. And the biggest one out there is, unfortunately, is mainland China. It's called the Communist Party of China. And as a result, what's happened is that they, they and other parties that understand the power of propaganda are using those, serv- those central single points of failure 
to manipulate the hearts and minds and fragment us, to fracture us so that we cannot unify. And all around us, I see evidence that, that we are moving towards a place where we will have to defend, this is the United States position, but the United States will have to defend its, its you know, world number one position uh, against adversaries who want that. And mm-hmm. the biggest is China. And the biggest thing China can do over the course of time is to find ways to look for weaknesses before there is an actual attack. So if you weaken hearts and minds because no one will unify, you've got Dems versus Republicans beating each other up and, you know, ready to go to civil war. That certainly works for the Beijing playbook. And then second, you become 100% dependent upon that nation for all of your goods and services and your supply chain. Well, that certainly helps their playbook. You know, remember, we've got 1.5 billion people here in a landmass which is infertile. It cannot farm. It's been toxic. It's over-farmed. They've got to feed their people. And if they can't buy it from somewhere, they'll take it. Right. It's, a, they have, it's a survival thing for them. It's not, I don't blame them in some ways, but at the same time, here we are worried about your Twitter feed, <laughs> and then this is on your doorstep, right? So... Uh, I kind of know, I, and I'm not even going to go talking about bioweapons because that's an obvious position which has been going on that no one seems to want to address. Mm. The fact that we've shown a direct vulnerability towards whether or not uh, our society could be impervious to something like that, well, the reality is we're, we're dead in the water. God forbid that was a real dead Right, thing. yeah. Right? So what's the best way that you could take land and not, to not make it toxic. You don't want to nuke it, right? Because then you can't farm it. What's the best way you can take land and feed your people? This is what it is. Hearts and minds, bioweapons, right? And then you have a, a an immigration or an emigration uh, plan that enables them to seed around the world. And next thing you know, you can insert yourself within the universities. You can start preaching communism. You can start doing all these things internally, and that's how you overthrow uh, an empire. And that's what we're seeing right out yeah. going right on in front of us right now. Yeah, that's that's some awesome insights. It's it's sad that so many people can't see it, and I don't. I try not to pay a whole lot of attention to the news because you you just you get drugged down into depression and. Mm-hmm. It, it's such a negative thing, but to see the trends out there, I mean, you don't have to look too hard to see that. And and knowing knowing what you know now, have been able to see through a lot of the a lot of the trends going on out there. What would you say to, especially your twenty year old self, but even how would you apply that to twenty year olds coming up today? What would you say to that age group? Get a passport. Simple as that. Get a passport. Get an ability to get out of harm's way if you think it's coming. I'm not saying that it's going to happen tomorrow or in five years, but I am saying that if you're a surfer and you see waves on the horizon to ride, you also see tsunamis and you also see sharks. And the reality is that the world isn't unicorns and rainbows. 
right? Mm-hmm. I've been beaten out down by the world multiple times. I'm still standing, but only because I've got that stubbornness and that willingness to know that there will be a better day ahead, but it's on me to find that, right? It's not, I'm not going to defer that to anybody else. I don't expect an insurance company will help me out when I'm down on my luck. They won't. I don't expect a hospital will fix me up when I've been medically destroyed because they didn't, right? I don't expect a government to bail me out with a whole bunch of money that they're running up debt for that I will eventually and my kids will eventually pay for in taxes because that's not going to help. How about give me the respect of looking after me and I'll just do a pretty damn good job. And if I learn something, I'll tell you about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Nobody's going to look after yourself better than better than you can. Right. Right. Uh, you you mentioned uh, how how was that? You said talked about mindset and knowing what, what was one we were talking about mindset. You mentioned that you didn't know your purpose or you didn't have a purpose. Basically, I, out there not knowing how to paddle around in the waves. How did you come about? developing that purpose because i mean as you as you rode the waves you come to understand you know the metaphorical waves obviously you come to understand kind of what you want to do in life and and how to create an impact i've always said that when someone knows what it is they enjoy doing and uses that to create impact they're living their purpose but everybody's journey to to discovering that is different when did that light switch flip for you? I think travel probably was the widest way. When you start seeing life through somebody else's eyes, you start seeing a different cultural perspective on something. Even, you know, the, the slight differences there were from an Australian to, a, to an American, um, you start seeing the difference in how you perceive things based on population difference. I mean, Australia, when I left it, only had 18 million people living in the whole country. Same landmass size of the US. Here it's got what 325 million today. Roughly. Um, you, things are different. Um, the attitude to being patient, waiting in line for your turn is very different with 325 million people in the place versus 18. People at 18 tend to be very nice and manners and ceremony and, you know, oh no, you go. You, know, you go before me. That's fine. Right. That's how it is over there. It ain't like that here. Yeah, certain <laughs> parts of the country, for real not. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, and I mean, the higher population densities, like, you know, yeah. New York, LA, and so on, you're going to see it more. And then out in the country, it's probably a bit more like Australia, right? Um, but also, when I started seeing the attitude towards things like family and um, what, what I would call the social mantra in the U.S., like, you know, go to school, get a degree, work hard, retire at 65, go live in Florida, whatever, Um, it doesn't work. It used to. In the 20th century, it was just great, you know, worked fine. It doesn't work now. I mean, people are 78% of people living paycheck to paycheck. 65-year-olds retiring is a luxury about 25% of the country get. Most don't get that. Most are going to be greeters at Walmart. I mean, this is the world we live in now. Um, you can't afford to save for your golden years when you can't afford the rent right now because the mm-hmm. land put it up 10%. I mean, it's like 
the, the mantra is different. And I think that people have got to start thinking about kind of what you were saying, right? Purpose. Purpose is important. But let, let's take the word work out of the vocabulary from the point of view of selling my time by the hour. Mm. And let's look at purpose. And let's look at how we can achieve what we choose to achieve once we discover it and, and how we can get there, right? That was kind of the way I looked at it. And I was lucky. I got a very early start in life and a very early start in experiencing firsthand, you know, winning and losing like that. And it helped me form who I am. But purpose isn't... Uh, as simple as what people think it to be, right? It's not like, oh, I'm going to become a great, I don't know, screenwriter. That's my purpose. No, it's not. That's not your purpose. That's what you choose to do with a lot of your waking time and you might enjoy it and be passionate about it, but that's not necessarily your purpose. Maybe your purpose is to raise a family. Maybe your purpose is to devote your time to your religion. Maybe your purpose is to farm. Maybe, maybe your purpose is to build. Maybe your I don't know. Everyone has to go out there and participate in life to find it. But I'll guarantee you one thing, you ain't going to find it sitting on a bloody smartphone, <laughs> right? <laughs> Scrolling through TikTok or Instagram or whatever the latest yeah. trend is these days. Uh, yeah. That is not real. I mean, as much as I, uh, you know, when Facebook went down this week, <laughs> thought, oh, it didn't last long enough, did it? <laughs> no. No, I mean, <laughs> I, this is the biggest distraction we've got. And we just sit there giving five, six, seven hours a day to this crap. Are you serious? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, look, you guys go do that and I'm going to eat your lunch. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so why, talking about purpose and all of that, how, why is it critical that you don't ignore the signs that, God, the universe, whatever you want to call it. I come from the Christian faith, so I say, God, why, why is it critical you don't ignore the signs that are put in front of you as you go through life? And, and how can you make sure that you do see them? Well, it's funny how simple they are, right? It's like the answers of the world are hiding in plain sight. Or Often too simple. We don't want it to be that easy, uh, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Like, you know, I, people ask me about like investing in money. And then, oh, should I buy Ethereum? It's it's like three thousand bucks. I'm like, well, yeah. Would you would you plant crops at the time you're supposed to harvest them? No, because they're not going to grow, right? It's exactly the same mentality. And yet, we probably have a garden in our backyard, and we know when to plant the seed and when to harvest the the tomatoes. I mean, it it's it's bleedingly obvious to all of us about these things and yet none of us embrace the simplicity of that and yeah everything around us um god's gift to us is hiding in plain sight but nobody has the attention span of a, a more than a gnat to be <laughs> able to see it um and i question that because while everybody out there is, is in the herd being distracted and going after that shiny object over there, I'm sitting back going, well, did you see what you left behind? I was like, all right, fine, you do you, I'm over here. I'm, you know, that, 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 I, I, I don't get it. Um, and I'm no genius here. 
right? I didn't even finish high school, <laughs> but it's so obvious to me. And yet, I don't know. I don't know, people. Yeah. Go like, like somebody <laughs> on Facebook. Yeah, just scroll through and hit hit the heart button. That that's that's what too many people get caught up in. And I mean, it, it's easy. You want a distraction from something. You sit down and check out what somebody's up to, and next thing you know, it's thirty minutes go by. It, it takes a a conscious effort to to go out and do to to create to actually build what what it is you want in life. And, and if you you know, you get caught up three, four days a week, 30 minutes a day. That's that's how many hours that you could have spent creating a website or, or writing a blog post or, or doing something creative. Because that's what we're meant to do is to, to create something. Yeah. But, I, I've got a friend of mine who I grew up with in Australia who's an interesting character. So he, he bought some land uh, way out in the outback, quite a lot of land. And uh, he decided that uh, he wanted to build, you know, kind of his own little utopia out there, his own little oasis, beautiful, peaceful place, right? Really gorgeous. And um, he's an electronics engineer. So, you know, guys have got Mr. Soldering Iron and a, a oscilloscope kind of character, you know. Well, he taught himself how to build a house. And so he went out there and he bought this land and he built the most beautiful self-sustainable house with solar and his own below ground water supply. And, and it's like peace. It's total peace. It's beautiful. He decided that he wanted to travel to his place. So he decided he'll learn how to be a pilot. So he took flying lessons and became a pilot. And then he worked out that somebody had a plane they didn't want. So he bought this plane so now he's got his own plane. So what did he do in his land? He built a runway, right? Okay. How, what it was building a runway? Well, get a couple of excavators from the rental company, work out how long you need the stretch. You've got the land, get the roll, you know, the roller. Start. No, I don't build a runway. <laughs> anyway, build it, asphalt it, done, job done, right? So he did that. So then he said, you know, uh, I, I think I know how to build things. How do I learn? I don't know. I read a book. Watched YouTube videos. I don't know. He worked it out. Pretty damn good job. Real good engineering mindset. Mm-hmm. So when the pandemic hit, um, he decided that he needed to make money and he couldn't go out because everything in Australia was locked down. So he ended up speculating on buying plots of land in areas that he thought people would want to move to, like near the ocean, that sort of thing. But they were just barren pieces of land. So every six weeks, I can't believe he does this. Every six weeks, he closes on a deal for a lot and he has a system to build these beautiful properties that he and a team of, I think, about 16 guys who work with him go out to the property and they build the whole house in literally 14 days. Wow. The whole thing. He then puts it on the market. And the way the market is going down there, he sells it in seven days, hands the key over, they give him a ton of cash, and he's on the next project. And this guy will turn over maybe, I don't know, eight to 10 of these a year. And I said to him, his name's Malcolm, I said, Mal, how do you keep up with this? Like this, it goes, you know, it's just system. I just do it, you know. <laughs> you know it's just what I do. 
I, I look at that and I go, that could be you, right? That right. could be one of the listeners on this show doing what that guy does because he was willing to read a book, take a risk, get his hands dirty and go and do something. That's, you know, I, I, um, there's, a, there's a very large movement in the United States of people who are very liberty focused, right? Most of the time, they could be that guy, right? But unfortunately, what ends up happening is that people get into these squabbles of left versus right and, you know, these political arguments all the time. And the time they spend emotionally invested in that, the passion that is in that could have been put into learning how to build a house, right? Right, And it could have been put into making millions of dollars building and housing people who need a roof over their head, right? It's just, it's practicality. I, I find that hard to understand sometimes. I, 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 I relate to it, but we as individuals need to have the self-discipline to say, enough of that, let's get back to what's good for us because I can't control what goes on in Washington, D.C., and I really don't give a crap what goes on watching the deep. I yep, do yep. care what goes on in the back of my backyard. So I'm going to go ahead and make my backyard the best backyard I can make. Yeah. It's, it's that sphere of control, influence, and concern. If you operate with what's in the sphere of control, the things that you can do, that's, that's when you move forward. Going back to, to Malcolm over there, you know, he went out and learned, did the things, took a risk. Is, is there anything to the saying there's no progress without risk? Oh, that's absolutely true. You, you can't. I mean, that's not. Um, the universe works on a theory of, of what we call entropy, and that is from nothing, something grows, and then the universe always reclaims it, right? Everything turns to dust. That's a key thing that we must all realize. We will all turn to dust. Everything we build will turn to dust. We hope as individuals that we build something that can at least outlast us because seeing something turn to dust is not a positive experience for humans, right? You drive down the road, you see the old dead, derelict building on the side. That's a negative experience. But you go down the road, you see the bustling new you know, shopping center or whatever, that tends to be a positive experience. We human beings have an innate psychological position within ourselves that we must combat entropy. It is what ultimately, and, and this is some weird observation I've made over the years, but I think it's true. It's the one thing that makes us happy. And there are two ways you can combat entropy. You can attend to things, that is, you maintain things, you clean them up, right? Yeah. Like uh, my house is covered in dust. We live in Arizona right now. We're coming out of summer. So I'm going to get out there with the power washer and wash the dust down. I mean, most people would say, oh, it's a chore. It's not a chore. That makes me happy. Because when I reveal the original house behind all that dust, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, wow, doesn't this look so much nicer now? Right. Well, that's combating entropy. That's normal. But the biggest thing that combats entropy is creation. If you create anything in life, it's a positive experience, whether it is the birth of a child, whether it is the building of something, the uh, formation of knowledge, the, all those things, right? 
And if you look at the human experience, you look at somebody, say, who retires, and if you're in that lucky 65-year-old bracket which can afford it, you know, guys go, what do they do? They restore old cars. What is that? Bring things back to life. Right. It's combating entropy. That is what makes us as human beings happy. And if we were ever to say, find something that is a purpose in life, start with that, right? Whatever you do, either maintain something so it doesn't get destroyed or create something new, and you will be a happy person. That's why artists are happy. They create music or theater or poetry or books or whatever, paintings, because they're combating entropy. If you understand that, you'll have a rich and happy life. If all you're doing is, is avoiding those things and being negative to destroy other things, you will be miserable psychologically. And it's, don't take my word for it. It's a human flaw. It's how we're built. It's how we're wired, right? Those are mm-hmm. the things that we need to be focusing on. Um, if we do that and we're all happy, it gets addictive and you tend to make other people happy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the domino effect. I, I get that. It's it's interesting how that works. If somebody is sad and depressed, they tend to drag others down with them. If they're if they're a happy, upbeat person, they tend to tend to raise the level of the attitude in the room. Sure. I, I want to be mindful of your time. We've gone longer than than what we had scheduled for. What what would you say? <laughs> okay, yeah, that's great. Uh, what would you say to the audience? Like, what, what would you like to leave them with today? Any, anything in particular, a piece of advice? or? Um, there's so many little one phrases that have always been really easy to consume and digest that have affected me in my life. I probably have covered most of the important ones here. I would just say that um, it's important that you don't, that you understand that distraction is your worst enemy and that you should do everything you possibly can to avoid it. And if you're welcoming it into your life because you don't want to look in the mirror and you don't want to face those important things, don't do that. Find a way to build up the courage internally to face your inner demons and look at yourself and put yourself on a path that will make you happy. Don't let distraction be an excuse for not doing it. Mm -hmm. What I just heard you say was quit watching football. Oh, well, <laughs> no. Great. no, no, no. No, it's a lot of fun. No, I get that. I, I, I get what you're saying. That's that's awesome. <laughs> I, I probably could do do a little bit less keeping up with sports. That that is a uh, a distraction for me at times. And so oh, that's that's good words to hear. It's a synthetic version of the the human psychological need for um, you know, control and, 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 and that conflict thing that we have in us and best it be done on a damn football field, <laughs> not out there in Afghanistan or something. Right. right exactly. Bloody football field. I'm happy with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where, where can my audience go to find out more about you? Do you have any books or podcasts or anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, I do a weekly podcast called The Unconstrained Podcast. Uh, I have a book coming out. Um, They can find everything they ever want to know about me and our community over at beunconstrained.com. It's a one-stop shopping experience for all things freedom. So 
come over and join us and have a good time. And we've got a lot of community servers and privacy advocate stuff and all that good stuff. Very cool. Thanks for joining me today, Miles. I appreciate your time. Anytime, man. Thank you for having me.